listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. It's really lovely to be with you all today. We'll be reading from Acts chapter 2. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. If you don't have a Bible with you today, um, if you'd like to raise your hand, um, Sojourn would like to give you one. It's yours to keep, especially if you don't have one at home um, for yourself. But if you need one and you'd like to raise your hand, Matt will come around and bring you one. So again, we'll be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 for 40, through 47. If you guys would please stand for the reading of God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to gather with you this morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn and uh, just excited to jump into uh, the book of Acts for a bit this morning. But before we do that, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time in his words. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you this morning and we just want to give you praise today. We acknowledge your power and your presence in our lives. And that as we gather together and sit among brothers and sisters in Christ and those that are coming, maybe just checking out who you are or what this whole church thing's about, we just want to give you thanks that we get to do this. And God, I pray that as we sit and receive your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word in our hearts and our minds, and that through that, God, that you would change us that you would change our thinking, that you would change our believing, that you would change the way we live our lives, and that as we walk out of here today, that we would live in such a way that gives glory and honor and praise to you, and that by doing that, that you would call more and more and more people to yourself. And so we give you thanks for the gift it is to be the body of Christ, to be brothers and sisters, to be a family. We praise you this morning, and we pray, God, that you would work in this time for your glory and for our good, and we pray this in Christ's name, amen. You know, these days uh, at our house, uh, with a family of five and two roommates who have become family to us, all living under the same roof, there are many things often in our house that are overflowing. There's overflowing toy bins. Sometimes there's overflowing recycling bins and trash cans. Sometimes there's overflowing laundry, both the dirty and clean variety. And sometimes, occasionally, there's an overflowing bathtub or toilet at our house. But overflowing doesn't always have to be a negative thing in our lives. Overflowing could be something like an overflowing harvest of fruit or vegetables. Or uh, you could have an overflowing piggy bank or an overflowing bank account or an overflowing crowd of family and friends within your house that you're really excited to have there. But why does something overflow? 
at its most basic level, the reason that something overflows is because there's an abundance of something that cannot be contained by the given boundaries. Well, last week we jumped into, back into a sermon series called Our Confident Hopes. And our confident hopes are these 16 things that we are praying and working towards seeing develop and grow more in our church that it might become a part of the reality of our church, the culture of our church. And so we're taking time at various points throughout the year to preach on our vision, to preach on our values and our hopes as a church, things that we want to see God do because we desire to glorify God in everything that he's called us to do, to be faithful in who we are as a church towards God. And so if you're new to Sojourn, we're thankful that you're here. And I hope that our time in last week, this week, and the coming weeks will be helpful for you to understand more of what our church is about. And if you've been a part of Sojourn for any length of time, my hope for you as we walk through these things is that God would use it to realign your life, realign your focus, so that we might be faithful. Today we're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and 2, and what we're going to see is that a community that is formed by the gospel, a community that's founded on the gospel, that's shaped by the gospel overflows in sharing the message of the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and what he's done. It overflows with that message of grace with, to the world around it. And my hope today is that by looking at the example of the early church, that what God will do in us as a community is compel us as a local church to be a community on mission. A community on mission with a culture of overflowing evangelism. And because of that, that we would see more and more people, many people come to know and follow Jesus. And so with that, let's jump into the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and 2. Now, Becky just read from Acts chapter 2, and that's going to be where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. But in order to grasp the significance of what that text says, I want to give us a little bit of context about the book of Acts and what's happened so far in Acts 1 and 2. Something we need to know about the book of Acts is that the book of Acts tells a story. It's really a history and a story being told of what happens after Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus' resurrection in and through the apostles, these first followers of Jesus. And so as it tells this history and this story, there's still a whole lot that we can learn from that in our own lives as we look to the example of the lives of these early followers of Jesus. If you look in Acts chapter 1, flip over there if you're not there already, Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 7, what we see taking place here is that the disciples are standing with the risen Christ. They're hanging out with the risen Jesus. Now, we could just stop right there and think about this. Like they're with the risen Christ, the once crucified, now risen Jesus. That in and of itself is an amazing reality that Christ is alive. And it's so amazing that we're going to take time in two weeks on Easter to celebrate that together. We can celebrate that every day in our lives and every time we gather together as the church. But on Easter, we'll spend especially intentional time looking at that. But as they stand with the risen Jesus, they ask him an important and revealing question. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. It says, this is what they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And in this question, what we see from the disciples is they still don't quite understand what God's up to. 
They still don't quite get it. Now, Jesus has been crucified. They saw him die on a cross. He's been raised again from the grave, and they're still kind of like, so what are we doing here? Like, are you going to bring the kingdom right now? They have a small view of what God's doing with his global kingdom. They're kind of thinking, is this just for us? Like, are you going to hook us up now? No, but Jesus doesn't directly answer their question. Instead, in verse 7, he tells them that they don't need to know and that God is in control. But what you can know is this. Look at verse 8. What you can know is this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The disciples are concerned about the coming kingdom of God, and so Jesus tells them, listen, if you're so concerned about that, listen, you have a part to play in it. You have a part to play in this. What Jesus does in this moment is he gives them purpose, purpose for their lives, and it's the same purpose for your life and my life as well if we call ourselves followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been promised And here we see that he says the Holy Spirit will come. He's going to empower. He's going to help. He's going to guide God's people. And when he comes, these two things will take place. Look at verse 8 again. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say you might be. Or I hope that the Holy Spirit will do this within you. No, he says the Holy Spirit will come. You will be empowered. You will be my witnesses. To witness to something is to testify to something. It's to give an account of something that's taken place in our life. And so what Jesus is saying is that God is going to give you an ability that you did not have before to go to the world and testify to who Jesus is, what he's done, and how that's affected your life. Something that only you can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that you muster up within your own strength and ability. Your own know-how and knowledge. It's something empowered by the Spirit of the living God. And it will overflow from you to the world around you. This is the mission mandate of the church of Jesus Christ, the risen King. This is what he calls us to do as his people It's similar to what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 28, that we are to go and make disciples, followers of Jesus, of all nations, all people. So here's a key thing that we learn from this. It is new disciples, or new disciples are made when current disciples witness to the reality of the gospel in their lives. New disciples are made, new followers of Jesus are made, crossing from death to life, when current disciples of Jesus testify to the gospel in their lives. And over the rest of Acts chapter 1 and the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we see Jesus' promise of power and overflowing witness begin to happen. Now, we don't have time to go through all of this text, but what happens in these next few verses is that the Holy Spirit does in fact come, and Peter, who had once denied Jesus, gets up and preaches this convicting, challenging sermon, and verse 41 of chapter 2 says that about 3,000 souls were added to their numbers that day. 3,000 people crossed from death to life in that moment as they heard the word of God preached. Man, that's amazing to see that that takes place. Jesus told them they would be witnesses, and God is faithful even in that moment to work through his spirit-empowered people to bring new life and make new citizens of heaven. 3,000 people. Now, I've been in ministry for about 15 years, 
And I've been preaching regularly for about seven years, and I've never preached to thousands of people, and I've never seen something like this happen before. And you know what? That's totally fine. It's okay. Because again, this is the history of what God's doing amongst his church. But what I have seen multiple times over and over again throughout my time as a pastor is what we see next in this text. What I have seen is how God uses the church founded on the gospel, empowered by the Spirit, living their life in Christ together in community to bring more and more people to himself. And so that brings us to our main text today, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Now, if you've been around the church for any length of time, it's probably likely that you have heard a sermon on this text before, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the sermons most of the time are about being a community, what it means to be a community. Now, this text is about community, but it's about so much more than that. See, what I want us to see today is that this is a picture of a community on mission. And what we see in it is a method and means of overflowing evangelism that God uses to save people from their sin. This text, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is a little snapshot of what the early church was spending their time doing. And we see that they are a committed group of people. They are a devoted group of people. So let's walk through this a bit. In verse 42, right away, we see that there's a commitment to the word of the gospel and the commands of Jesus. There was a clear understanding from this group of people that had just crossed from death to life, had new life in Christ. There was an understanding that it was through the teaching of the apostles that these new believers would understand what life was to look like now that they were made alive in Christ. They didn't think, well, I just got saved. I'm good to go. I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven so I can kind of just live however I want. No, they knew and experienced this, this longing, this need will teach me, instruct me. How now am I supposed to live with Christ? We also see that they're committed to fellowship. Fellowship is about being in relationship and community with one another. It's about spending time with one another. It's about being a family to one another. And in the midst of being a family together, they also are committed to breaking bread with one another. Now, this has a twofold kind of application to it. It's both eating meals together and taking communion together. A meal that Jesus instituted for his followers, which we'll take part in today, this after, after the sermon. But what we see in that is whether it's eating a meal together or taking communion together, it's done communally and it's a reminder of the blessings of God and the grace we've received through Christ. And then we also see that they were committed to praying together as a community, seeking God's empowerment to live according to his will. They were regularly coming before God, asking him to continue to fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they could live their lives in a way that was honoring and pleasing to him. What we see in verse 42 is a picture of a community that is founded by the gospel, shaped by the gospel, impacted by the gospel. Now they're seeking to live out those implications in their life together. And then what happens? Look at verse 43 and 40 through 45, and it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. God was moving in and among them, and they had an awe of God as they were spending time in his word, as they were spending time in community, as they were spending time in prayer. They were in awe of who God is. 
Church, do you have an awe of God this morning? As you go about your day-to-day life, are you in awe of who God is and, and what He has done and what He is doing in your life? And I want us to be a people who are in awe of Him. Not because we have to see signs and wonders. We can look around at one another's lives and say, I see a wonder right in front of me. You once were dead in your sin and are now alive in Christ. That's amazing. I'm in awe of God that He would reconcile any of us to Himself. That we have an awe of Christ See, this early church was believing him for who he says and shows that he is. And as they're in awe of God and all of his greatness and all of his grace in their lives, we see that they have this great amount of love for one another. It's not this individualistic kind of lifestyle. Their awe of God leaves them to generous lives with one another. They give generously to the ministry of the church to meet the needs of one another in that community, that body of believers, to meet their needs. It's a picture of a real loving family. And the passage continues, verse 46, and it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What we see in this one verse here is the church existed in two forms. The church gathered and the church scattered, but they were always the church. See, the church gathered corporately at the temple for teaching and worship corporately together, and they scattered into one another's homes throughout the week. See, biblical community doesn't involve one or the other, but both gathering and scattering. They go hand in hand with one another. They happen day by day. They are a part of the normal routines and rhythms of life. And then we get to verse 47. Let's get it again. It says, verse 47 says, praising God. They're doing these things, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Their lives were filled with worship of God. Their lives were filled with praise and thanksgiving because of the reality of the gospel, the good news of Christ, of who he is and what he's done, reconciling people to himself, and it changed everything for them. And now this new life in Christ, they have in Christ, it overflows in gratitude and praise. It happens in the context of community. But do you notice what Luke says here? The author of Acts, he says this, they had favor with all the people. Now, we could look at that and think, well, I'm I'm guessing that he's talking about other believers, that they had favor with one another, but he doesn't say one another. He says with all the people. He's talking about the wider community of people around them. And I think the reason for that, that we can make that connection here is because the next sentence he says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Luke is trying to tell us something. What he's telling us is that this new community that's been formed by the gospel, these people had favor with people who did not yet know Jesus. They had favor with their neighbors. Now, it doesn't mean that everything went well for them. If you know the history of the early church, they were often persecuted for their faith, but they had a good reputation amongst the people who didn't yet know Jesus. And it was from that group of people who didn't yet know Christ that more and more people were being saved, more and more people were being brought into and becoming a part of this new spiritual family. This is a huge thing. 3,000 people were saved, but it's the day to day that more and more people are crossing from death to life. Why does this happen? How does this happen? I actually think it's pretty simple. It's because this group of people, the church, existed as a family And as they are following Jesus together, it's the overflow of their life with Jesus. 
It's the overflow of the joy they have in Him that's stoked by the Spirit of their life together. And God sends them out into the community. And He also attracts more and more people who aren't yet saved from their sin to the community. Their worship of God leads to mission. Their awe of God leads them to tell more people about Him. But listen, they're not an attractive community because of their hipness. They're not an attractive community because they're like, you know what, we need to be culturally relevant and make sure that we can relate to people in the right way as far as culture goes. No, they are an attractive community because of Christ in them. They're an attractive community because of their love for one another, their care for one another, and that has overflowed to their lives and the lives of those around them. Listen, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you are intrigued by Jesus' people, you're intrigued by them. You, you see their love for one another. Maybe you're hanging out with us and you see our love for one another or our love for you and you're intrigued by this. It isn't because we're good people. It's because we have, our lives have been transformed and changed by a great Savior. That's why you're attracted to this. That's why you're intrigued by Jesus' people. And we want that for you too. It's one of the reasons why we're here as a church is so We can see you come to know and follow Jesus. We can see you experience new life in Christ. The only place, the only source of life and peace and joy now and forever. And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come to Christ. I want to invite you to place your faith in Jesus, believing he is who he says he is. And he has done what he said he came to do and accomplish, which is give you new life through his life and his death and his resurrection. But I also want to invite you to this community. Because it's in the context of this community that I think that you'll see the good news of who Jesus is displayed in our lives. You'll see who Jesus is and what he's done displayed and how we're seeking to live our life with one another. Not because we're perfect, but because Jesus is at work within us. Now for those of us that are already following Jesus, there is so much that we can learn from the example of our brothers and sisters in Acts chapter 2. One of the things we see in this is they did not retreat from the world. God didn't save them from their sin and they kind of went off and built a compound by themselves. They didn't retreat and pull back from the world. No, they're engaged in the world. And they're engaged as a community affected by and shaped by the gospel. And it's through that that more and more people were hearing and believing the gospel. They're living out the mission mandate of Acts 1-8. They're being witnesses to those around them, and they're doing it together. See, what we see in this text is that it's the gospel community, not a bunch of disconnected individuals. It's the gospel community that is a key means of people having their lives transformed by Jesus. And the same is still true for us today. One of our core values as a church is that we are a community on mission. Not just a community, not just doing mission, but a community on mission. That's marked by overflowing evangelism. That as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to worship him, as we seek to do these things that we see in Acts chapter 2, that our life would overflow to those around us. See, we want to be a community that is only explainable because of the gospel, And be a community that works together to make much of Jesus among our neighbors and the nations. We see a picture of that in this text. See, Jesus changed their lives and now Jesus was changing other people's lives through them. The greatest question for anyone to wrestle with 
is who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? There's lots of other important questions about life and culture and and all kinds of things that we could talk about, but at the end of the day, the most important question you can wrestle with is who do you say Jesus is? And so evangelism and the mission isn't just about living a good life around people who don't yet know Jesus. It's about actually opening up our mouths and our lives and seeing and showing and displaying Jesus to them. And we get to be a part of helping people answer that question of who do you say Jesus is in a way that leads to life. And church, what a privilege we have. Like God didn't need us to do that. He invited us to be a part of that. He's allowing us to be a part of it. But see, the problem for us is, if we're honest and take a look at our lives, we often don't do this. I think there's a bunch of different reasons for it, but if we're just looking off Acts 1 and 2, maybe it's because sometimes we don't actually have an overflowing joy in Jesus. That we're not in awe of who God is. We're not in remembrance of the grace we've received in Him. Maybe sometimes for us, the reason that we don't see this as a part of our life of overflowing evangelism and seeking to reach people with the gospel is we forget the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. That we acknowledge the Holy Spirit, but we're not asking to be filled by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go do the work that He's called us to. That we don't have to come up with words on our own, but He will supply everything we need to be able to communicate the truth of the gospel. Maybe sometimes it's because we forget that God actually wants to save people. That God's in the business of redeeming people. That this book, from beginning to end, is about God pursuing people and God redeeming people. And bringing him into relationship with himself. Maybe sometimes it's because we get too wrapped up in our own lives. Maybe sometimes it's because we've made community primarily about us. About meeting our needs and our wants. See, what this has done, what this does is it separates something that was never meant to be separated. That we put mission over here and the pursuit of God and, and Jesus over here and community over here. And we kind of make these, these three different parts of our life. But what we need to see is there's no separation between any of them. They're all integrated together. And we see that in Acts 1 and 2. In Acts 1 8, Jesus said it was they, the church, that would be his witnesses. When they, the church, the community of believers, received the power of the Holy Spirit. But what you don't see is that some were serious about Jesus. And some were serious about worship. And some were serious about community. And then there's another group of people, they're serious about evangelism, and just a few of them participate in it. Now what you see is a community brought together of believers as a whole, being on mission as they participate in community together. Evangelism and conversion are happening in the context of community. Why? Because it's in the context of a gospel community that people are able to hear the gospel. They're able to experience Jesus and the effects of the gospel, to see it up close, to be in an environment, to ask questions of people who are pursuing Christ, and through that experience, life change. And I want that for our church, that we would be a community on mission, overflowing in evangelism, and see more and more people around us come to know and follow Jesus because they're hanging out with Jesus' people. So what does that look like for us as a church? How can we strive to be a community on mission like we see in Acts 1 and 2? Well, there's three things I want to highlight for us from this text as we wrap up our time in God's Word this morning. 
The first is this, that Christ and the gospel must be central to your life and our community. Christ and the gospel must be central to your life and our community. When we remember what Christ has done for us, and we remember who we are in Christ, and then we look out around us and we see our coworkers and neighbors and friends who don't yet know Jesus, it's then that we can actually go and pursue them because Christ is so central to our lives. Our love for Jesus compels us to go love those who don't yet know Him. It's a community that knows the gospel, that's seeking to live out the implications of that gospel that overflows with a desire to go share the gospel. And that's what we see in Luke's description of the early church. They're devoted to scripture, they're devoted to prayer, they're devoted to worship, they're devoted to one another, and through that they're seeing more and more people cross from death to life. Worship leads to mission. That's why we as a church value Christ. Jesus must be the center of everything that we do. It's so important. If we miss this, that Christ must be central, then everything else that we talk about from a practical standpoint about how to reach people for Jesus won't really matter. Christ must be central. And so this most important question before us still is who do you say Jesus is? And so with that as the foundation, with Christ being the foundation central to our life and our community, There are two other things that we can do to be a community on mission. The next one is to be the church gathered. Be the church gathered. Every week as we gather together as God's people, we preach the gospel, we sing the gospel, we rehearse the gospel, we image the gospel as we come and take communion. Everything we do as we gather together is about making much of Christ and calling one another to know him and follow him in every aspect of our lives together. It's why it's so important for us to not forsake the gathering of the saints, to not forsake coming and being present and being here with one another. It's for our good, but it's also for the good of others. Because see, it's in our gatherings on Sundays that we can begin to image the gospel together to a skeptical world. Seeing people reconcile relationships, people from different backgrounds, different life stages, different parts of life and, and experiences coming together to worship the same Jesus. The gospel transcends every barrier that the fallen world has created. So friends, let's invite people to come gather with us. Invite people who don't yet know Jesus so they can come and see that as we do all of these things together as a community, that through that we can continue to share the gospel with them together as a community. Recently, a research study was done And it said that uh, as far as people who don't regularly gather with the church, that 82% of people who do not regularly gather with the church said that if you invited them to come with you to gather with the church, they would likely go. 82%. That's crazy. That same study, though, it said that only 2% of regular gathers with the church, believers, have invited anyone to come and gather with them in the last year. 82% will come, but only 2% of us have actually asked someone to. And church, let's not be true to that statistic. Let's not be true to that, but instead be intentional and ask someone to come with you on a Sunday morning to hear the gospel proclaimed and then to talk about it with them, to engage them on that and say, man, what did you hear? What did you learn? What questions do you have? So let me ask you just a simple question of application for you this morning is who is one person? Who is one family 
of someone that doesn't yet know Christ or isn't connected to the church that you can invite to come gather with you on a Sunday. One person, one family. And we have a great opportunity coming up for that. Easter is in two weeks. And there are a lot of people who don't yet know Jesus that will come and gather with the church on an Easter Sunday. And so who's someone you can come and invite if you're going to be in town that you can invite to come with you on Easter in two weeks? But listen, I know that not everyone is going to want to come and gather with the church on a Sunday morning. I understand that. There's a a guy that I'm getting together with regularly right now, and he specifically said to me, hey, I want to get together and I want to talk about faith. I do not want to come to your church. Well, I appreciate the honesty, right? Like, I'm not going to talk to him about that, but we can get together and have a good meal together and talk about life and talk about faith. Not everybody that you know that doesn't yet know Jesus wants to come and be here on a Sunday morning, and that's okay. Because the second thing we can do to be a community on mission is not just be a church gathered, but be the church scattered. We see this in Acts chapter 2 as well. You know, when Owen, my oldest son, was little, uh, he didn't always like to sit at the table and, and eat his food. He wanted to get up and move around. And so we try to get him to eat his food. And then eventually we would let him get up and walk around and we would do what we call drive-by bites. Right? Like he's just cruising around. We're like, can we just slide some food into his mouth here or there just to get a little bit before more food? Now don't judge my parenting, okay? <laughs> but sometimes we do drive-by evangelism also. We engage with people maybe who don't know Jesus. We talk to the person at the cash register or that's cutting our hair, but we really don't seek to invest in their life as a friend. And sure, that can be hard to do with everyone, but I think sometimes the reason we don't do that is because we actually don't really know anyone. We don't really have a real relationship with anyone who doesn't know Jesus. Or we aren't willing to engage with them in the real things of life. Again, you should talk to the cashier about Jesus. You should talk to your barista about Jesus. That's good, but do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that live around you? Are you inviting them into your life? One scholar writes this, it comes more natural to us as Christians to shout the gospel at people from a distance than to involve ourselves deeply in their lives to think ourselves into their culture and their problems and to feel with them in their pains. See, we often want a form of mission and evangelism that we can stick in our schedule, we can switch off and leave behind when we go home. But that's not what God has called us to. It's not a community on mission with overflowing evangelism and it's not what we see in Acts 2. Now, the church gathered in the temple, they scattered into one another's homes and found favor with all people and more and more people were coming to faith. See, what's happening is the early church is inviting people into community and they're taking community to people. They're inviting in and going out. So I want us to do the same thing. I'm trying to do this in my life right now. We started a community group uh, in the fall with a bunch of other people that that are part of Sojourn that live in our neighborhood. And, And we were seeking to be the church scattered together. Spending time with one another, fellowshipping with one another, encouraging each other in Christ, seeking to care for one another as best as we can. But we're also seeking ways to engage our neighbors and our community around us and inviting them to come hang with us too, to experience gospel community. We're talking about reading through a book together to encourage us and encourage those who don't yet know Jesus. And we're getting ready to do a once a month community dinner where we're just inviting our neighbors once a month to come over to somebody's house and eat good food and hang out with one another. 
And people in our neighborhood long to be connected. They long to be in community. And so we're ch- seeking to provide that in a way that says, man, Jesus has changed our life. We understand that. We want you to experience it too. And again, I know not everybody's even going to want to do that. So there's other ways that we can engage people around us. Like I said, that guy that I'm getting together with, I'm also meeting up with this imam in a local mosque that wants to learn English. And so we're talking through life together and seeking to share life and Jesus with him. He wants to come hang out with us on a Sunday morning. I'm hoping he'll come on Easter. We can pray for that. I mean, my family seeks to regularly engage with our neighbors and spend time with them and have them over to our house and go spend time with them at their houses. And listen, it's not because there's a project. It's not because we're trying to accomplish something huge. It's because first and foremost, they're our neighbors and we care about them. We really want to be their friends. We really genuinely love them. But because we love them, we want them to know the Jesus who loves us too. See, we can invite people into our community, but also seek to engage our friends in the places they seek to do community. Every single one of you has an opportunity every single day to do something, to be an ordinary person doing ordinary things, but to do so with gospel intentionality. You go about your day doing ordinary things, but if you think about, man, but how do I do that with some intentionality behind it, that more people might come to know Christ. And so let me ask you another question of application. Who is one person? Who is one family in your life right now that doesn't yet know Jesus that you can invite over for a meal? Just a lunch, dinner, breakfast. We eat, most of us, 21 times a week. That's 21 opportunities for you to hang out with people. And who's one person, one family that you can invite over to do that? And listen, who's another sojourn person or family that you can invite to come be a part of that with you? Man, you have a whole community of people right here that we can join together to invite people into our lives. And maybe some of those people that you're going to invite to hang out for dinner are some of the same people you're inviting to come on a Sunday morning. That's great. That's true for my life. I actually have this card. I I talk about reading through the Psalms regularly. And so my bookmark for the Psalms is this three by five card. And on this three by five card are names, are names of people that want to know Jesus. And so when I read the Psalms, I read these names and I pray that God would open up eyes and hearts that people would come to know Christ. Could you just take a three by five card and write somebody's name on it and pray, God, would you reconcile these people to yourself? Would you pray this year that God would do something amazing in and through this church, not so we get glory, not so we get praise, but so we can worship God and remember that God raises people from death to life. And what might God do if we took this seriously together, church? Now listen, maybe right now you're going, I'm not even in community. I'm, I'm here, but I'm not really in community with one another. Let me invite you, if that's where you're at, if you're hanging on the fringes right now, jump in. Jump in with this group of messy, imperfect people and pursue Christ together. Invite yourself into that and know that you're invited into it. This is not a solo endeavor. Maybe right now you're suffering or struggling and you're thinking the last thing I could do is have somebody over for dinner to my house. I don't have the bandwidth to do that right now. And that's okay. God still wants to use you to reach people for Jesus because you don't have to do it by yourself. Let other people around you invite you and be a part of that and you can do it together so that we can see people come to know Christ. Like the church in Acts 1 and 2, what I want for us is to form real relationships in the context of real life. That we'd actually know people and let them know us as well. And doing that with people who already know Christ and people who don't yet know Christ. Listen, people will better understand the gospel 
They will better understand the gospel through a community and people who overflow with its effects. And our love for one another made possible by Christ and his Holy Spirit might be the most compelling thing to a skeptical and watching world. We can be witnesses to what Christ has done for us. So during Acts 1-8, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come and empower us to witness locally and regionally and globally to make disciples of our neighbors in the nations. And he has done it and he is doing it. Let's be a part of that. We have a Savior who is worth following and a gospel that is worth sharing. And so let's be a community on mission, overflowing with the good news of grace, inviting people into our lives, inviting people into our community, and inviting people to Jesus. And let's do it together to the glory of God and then just see what God will do with that. And one of the ways that we get to rehearse and image the gospel when we gather together is through taking communion with one another. As I said, it's a a meal that displays what Christ has done for us. It's a meal that Jesus instituted to be a reminder and a refresher for us of what he has accomplished. We eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for us, and we drink the cup, a a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us. But it isn't just a picture. It's spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's an opportunity to be renewed in the covenant of grace you have in Jesus. But it's also a meal that compels us to go and share that grace that we've received with people who haven't yet received it. And so as you come forward this morning to receive the elements of the bread and the cup, I want you to come forward in repentance and come forward in faith. Be reminded that though you fall short of God's glory, that he has given you his righteousness in Christ, that you're forever his and he's forever yours. But I want you to come with joy and thanksgiving as well. Thanksgiving that someone shared the gospel with you, that someone told you about Jesus. And as you reflect on that and give thanks to that as you're eating the bread and drinking this cup this morning, may you be compelled to then go and be that messenger of reconciliation to someone else so they too might experience new life in Christ. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so grateful that you're here this morning. I hope that what you hear in all this and see in all this is maybe some dots being connected for you this morning. That what we want for you is to know Jesus above all. And so instead of for you coming forward and taking communion, I just want to invite you to hang where you're sitting and reflect on what's been said this morning. And what we want for you is to take Christ this morning. And so just hang in your seat. If you're ready to start a relationship with Jesus, tell God that this morning. And then let this community know that because we want to journey with you in that. For those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just give you thanks. God, we didn't deserve your grace. You were not obligated to save us. We've rebelled against you. We've said we're fine on our own, that we don't need you. But God, you brought the gospel to us. You made a way for us to know you through Christ. And someone came and they communicated that to us. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a roommate. Maybe it was a random person on the street or a neighbor. But God, we're grateful that you brought the gospel to us. That you reconciled us to yourself. But God, I pray that it wouldn't stop with us. That we would see that there is a whole lot of people all around us every day, people we live around and do life around all over the world that still don't yet know you. And so God, I pray that you would compel us to take 
the awe we have of you, the grace we've received as we read your word, as we pray, as we gather together to go and be a community on mission. God, would you instill that within us as a church? And God, we long for and pray that we would see more and more people come to know you. I pray, God, that we would see people come to know you this year like we never have in the life of this church before. In a way that's so overwhelming that it's clear that it's your work, not our work. It's your Holy Spirit working in us, just like you said he would in Acts 1.8. God, help us to be a spirit-empowered, Christ-focused, awe worshiping people that overflow to the people around us that more people would cross from death to life. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace. Go in peace.